everyone loves TV Dad. On the next TV Dad, presented by Progressive, TV Dad gets us through heartache. <laughs> Chin up, sport. Oh, hey, TV Dad. You know what heals all wounds? Time? <laughs> no, it's remembering that drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. But Jen still doesn't want to be with me. True. I actually saw her with your friend Brian earlier. Wait, what? Listen to your TV Dad. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Potential savings will vary. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. This week's case is a case out of the 90s from California. It is the case of Christina Williams. Christina Williams was born on May 1st, 1985 in Okinawa, Japan. She was born to a Filipino mother and an American father who was in the military. He was a chief petty officer in the U.S. Navy. Christina and her family were currently living on the Fort Ord military base in Seaside, California. Fort Ord is actually a former U.S. Army post. And again, that's in Seaside, California, which is basically um, an area right near the Monterey Bay. So a lot of us from SoCal are going to call this up in Monterey. Um, But there are some cities that make up the area outside of Monterey. Um, And it's basically, for listeners who aren't from California, it's pretty much Central Coast, a little bit above Central Coast. So you're sort of starting Northern California, but you're not quite there yet. And it's like two hours south of San Francisco. It's essentially the northernmost part of the Central Coast. It's how I would describe it. That's the perfect way to put it. It's about two hours south of San Francisco and about two hours north of what we call the Central Coast here in California, Pismo Beach, San Luis Obispo area. So this base, as I mentioned, being a former base, closed in 1994. And this was all due to the Base Realignment and Closure Act. That act was created in order to sort of start closing off the Cold War era. So a bunch of military installations had been built during the Cold War, and now it's time to close some of them up. It's very costly and lucky to say at that time you didn't need them. And so the act was created to start closing down some of those. And Fort Ord was one of those that was closed in effort to save money and many other things I'm sure that we couldn't even begin to understand not being involved in that process. Most of what Fort Ord's land now makes up what's called the Fort Ord National Monument. And it's actually managed by the U.S. Bureau of Land Management, and it's part of like their conservation efforts. A small portion, however, still remains active, and it's called the Fort Ord Military Community. So this is where Christina was living, and she was living there with her parents, Michael and Alice Williams, and her brother, Michael Jr., and the oldest of the sibling group, her sister, Jennifer. 
Her sister is quoted as saying, she is just the most innocent girl you could ever meet. And she went on further to say, she's probably close to a perfect daughter. Everything she does, it's helpful. It's courteous. She works hard. She's conscientious. She's punctual. She's reliable. She would always be concerned about us. So this is just a loving, family-oriented girl who wants to do right by those that she loves. And it's really sweet. And it's saying a lot coming from an older sister to say that about all those beautiful things about her younger sister. She didn't say, oh, she's annoying. She's always stealing my clothes. Not that this would be a time to say something like that, but it just shows what a good person Christina was. Something else really sweet about Christina while she was growing up is that she wanted to become a singer and Mariah Carey was her hero. And she even sang in her school's choral ensemble. This sentiment about Christina is endearing to me, but kills me at the same time because my big sis, who is a few years older than me um, and is the same age as Christina, loved and still loves Mariah Carey. And growing up, her karaoke song was literally Hero by Mariah Carey. She would probably still do it. I texted her about this and she even told me, oh, Hero is still my jam. I still love Mariah Carey. So... Kara, that one's for you. Shout out to Kara for having a good taste in music. Absolutely. She actually kind of does have a good taste in music. I'll give her that. So that's just a little bit of a tangent about me and my sister. But I just think it's so sweet about Christina, like I said. And it also just shows like with even connecting it to my sister, it really just made me feel like this could have been anybody, Natalie. Mm -hmm. This could have been my sister. This could have been, you know, one of your siblings. This could have been a cousin. This could have been anybody growing up as a millennial. It could have been us. Mm -hmm. It could have been any of us. And with that, it'll bring me into talking about when everything went down, which was June 12th, 1998. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Christina had just turned 13 years old the month before. She decides that just after 7 p.m. that she wanted to walk her dog. Resources say that she had either spent the day with her mom making some delicious Filipino food or that her mom had just gotten back from work. So I always love to express to our listeners to so that they understand some of the things we're up against when we research these cases. Like literally they paint her days in two different ways. So a little bit confusing. We don't know everything she did that day, but we do know that around 7 or 7.30, she decides that she wants to walk the dog and she asks her mom, hey mom, can I go walk the dog? And the family's dog name, which Natalie and I love, was Craig. So she says, mom, can I take Greg for a walk? 
Christina was 13 years old. She could have a little independence. The mom says, sure. And now they had just gotten their doggo, Greg, from the pound just a few months earlier. So this was becoming more routine for Christina to want to take responsibility and take him for walks and just enjoy time with the dog that they just adopted. And we will include in our Instagram post um, a family picture of Christina, her brother, and Greg, because he's pretty cute. Yeah, Greg is adorable. And what parent isn't going to want their child to take responsibility for their newly adopted dog? You know, take the dog on a walk and um, tire it out before bedtime. That's essentially what the mom was allowing for, definitely. Typically, when Christina would would walk Greg, she would be gone for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, just not too long at all. Just a nice, quick neighborhood stroll and back home before it was dark. Remember, summer's approaching. So the sun is staying out longer and longer and longer until the summer solstice on the 21st. So we've got hours of daylight and it's 7 p.m. There's enough daylight left to assume that this could be a safe walk. And from the photos of Greg and Christina and Michael Jr., it seems that Greg is a medium to large-sized dog. So there is that sort of sense of security that the mom would have felt having Christina go out with Greg and not be worried that something could happen. Greg was about the size somewhere between a Shiba Inu and a German Shepherd. And in Mm -hmm. fact, looks like he might be mixed with those two breeds or similar. The other piece we need to think about with this case is that, of course, they felt secure with her walking with the dog alone. They were on a mostly inactive military base, and the area she was walking the dog in was the area that was continuing as active. So it just would have been really unexpected what we're about to hear unfold would have happened. That's so true, because you're not expecting anyone that's not supposed to be there to be there. With the idea of those types of comforts in mind while her daughter was walking Greg, Alice, the mother, fell asleep. She woke up a little while later to her son informing her that Christina had yet to return from the walk. They had just moved to Fort Ord from overseas in Japan, like I mentioned, not long before, so they were scared that maybe she'd gotten lost. It's very rural, especially now that it had been inactive for four years by this point. So they're worried. Look, she doesn't know anybody. She doesn't really still know the area. She's a kid. She's she's lost. Mm -hmm. So Alice sends Christina's brother, her son, out on his bike to go look for her. Say, hey, you know, maybe she just got lost and you can go find her and lead her home. Well, he returns shortly after about 15 minutes, one of the resources mentions, and he had not found her. I think this is where some intuition is picking up because it was just 15 minutes on a fairly large military base had she gotten turned around and lost. But I think family's intuition was picking up here going, something's really off. Um, And this is also when Alice sort of starts to get her panic feelers out here, if you will. She goes outside herself and there she finds something that makes her heart skip a beat. It's Greg, the dog, and he's alone. Leash attached and all, but no Christina. It's about 8.45 p.m. at this point. So she's been gone for going on hour and a half, two hours. And now Christina's father, Chief Petty Officer Michael Williams, is pulling into the driveway. So he's coming home as they're finding the dog Greg returning home. And Alice is standing out there and she's going, oh my God, Christina's missing. And look at Greg just came home by himself. Mm-hmm. 
So Michael immediately springs into action and heads to the base's police station to report her missing. Fort Ord, again, was heavily wooded and rural, and it was going to be quite a daunting task to find the small teenager, especially while dark. Michael decides to take matters into his own hands outside of just reporting her missing and takes Greg out to see if the dog will lead him to Christina or to any type of clue as to where she might be. But no luck. After 24 hours, that's when the family really started to worry that she wasn't just lost and she was met with foul play. And this is 24 hours of search. Like, this Mm -hmm. isn't just like, oh, we went to bed and hoped she found her way home. Like, no, the officers on base are looking for her. Like, this is when the searching is starting for Christina. They decide to turn to media for help, and her disappearance was the talk of the area. Her story catches FBI attention, and they joined the search. Then these search efforts were massive. I mean, there were hundreds of FBI agents and volunteers looking for her, and it was a 24-7, round-the-clock effort. It did not stop. Day and night, no matter the weather, they were looking for her. Three days after the search had started, the FBI's task force that was searching for her had still not found her. And that's when suspicion of foul play was a bit more confirmed, for lack of a better word. They decided to take a tracking dog to trace Christina's scent. And the dogs track her scent from the Williams family home backyard to a street called Parker Flats Cutoff. I would describe Parker Flats Cutoff a little bit more as like a thoroughfare through the neighborhood. So it's not like a big, heavy street, Mm -hmm. but it was definitely a street that people would probably take to get to other points in the Fort Ord military community if you were living on that base. Her scent, however, disappeared on that street, Parker Flats, right there in the middle of the street, just dead stop. The dogs couldn't pick up anything else. The senior FBI agent on the case, Rick Lack, recalls hoping so badly that he was wrong, but he knew in his heart of hearts that this was a stranger abduction. Just everything was leaning towards that and pointing towards that. The case continued to blow up in the media, and celebrities like Christina's hero Mariah Carey and Clint Eastwood were taping PSAs to bring publicity to the case. And it worked. Tips were starting to really come in. One of the tips that investigators found more interesting was a tip from the wife of a Navy officer. She had stopped during a run on Fort Ord base to stretch. So while she's stretching, this car pulls up next to her and she hears them say she's too old and they took off. That's terrifying. It is. And she was a little irked. And she remembered that it was a Mercury Monarch or a Ford Granada, but she couldn't get the license plate. Mm -hmm. She was also able to provide enough detail of what the men looked like to provide investigators with a sketch. So now we have a sketch and another tip also comes in to the tip line that says, I just saw a scared teenage girl that looks like Christina Williams in the back of a Mercury Monarch or Ford Granada. The reason I keep bringing up both of these cars is because number one, At the press conferences that are available for viewing, those performing the press conference mention it as a Ford Granada or Mercury Monarch. They mention both. So they wanted the public to be on the lookout for both cars. I don't really have any more information other than that and other than that they just keep expressing that it was one of these cars. 
Also, number two, these cars are counterparts. So Ford made Mercury when it was still alive as a car make, and they were counterpart vehicles. So the Monarch was the luxury version of the Ford Granada. So they were just very similar cars. So there's probably a few reasons wrapped up into one why they wanted the public looking for either a Mercury Monarch or a Ford Granada. That being said, it was a later 80s version of this type of car. And the hunt was on for this car and for the two men that were in it. And they poured hours into that search to no avail, unfortunately. Weeks turned into months. And just after New Year's on January 12th, 1999, a new break in the case finally came. A woman that had been studying the ecosystem on Fort Ord stumbled across human remains. And these remains were found beneath a scrub oak tree just about three miles from the Williams home. There was branches and brush that had been placed in attempt to maybe hide the body. It was also believed that it had been several months that the body had been out there because it was badly decomposed. And if you remember, Christina went missing in June. So this Mm -hmm. kind of fit the bill. So they're really wondering, oh my gosh, is this Christina? There was actually no mistaking that it was Christina Williams because the remains were found with clothes on and around it that were recognized as Christina's. So with the remains, they found flip-flops, the tops she was known to have been wearing, the jeans she was known to have been wearing, and most importantly, the Oakland Raiders jacket that she borrowed from her brother, Michael, to go for the walk. This is like the 15th time I've probably said it, but I need to reiterate the brush is extremely dense in this area and where she was found is no different. Investigators actually believe that wildlife may have been somewhat responsible for the uncovering of her remains. And there were clues kind of scattered all around in an adjacent field. And it just really complicated the crime scene. So we just Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of information that's out there about the crime scene. That's why we don't really have a lot of information about the crime scene. And that's also why, and we'll see as we get to this point in the case, why things took so long to even get somewhat resolved. Well, and it's 1999. The science on DNA testing is so far behind to what it is now. I mean, even next year, I'm sure it'll be light years ahead of where we are now. So it just, it's the time of the the crime as well. Right. Multiple factors here. What did work in their favor was dental records. And dental records did confirm that the remains belonged to 13-year-old Christina Williams. An autopsy was performed as well, and her death was ruled a murder by the medical examiner. Unfortunately, the autopsy results didn't help the investigation that much, though, because the body was so badly decomposed, uh, which is just absolutely heart-wrenching. A forensic anthropologist on the case, Allison Galloway, theorized that Christina had been strangled. Christina, being just 13 years old, made it hard to be certain, though. And this is because according to that forensic anthropologist, Alison Galloway, when an adult is strangled, there are bones that may crack and be a telltale sign of strangulation. But in a 13-year-old's body, specifically a 13-year-old female's body, the bones would just fold in. Mm -hmm. And essentially, if the throat bones are folded in, you can't necessarily deem it strangling as easily as if the bones had been broken, as in an adult body. My guess is because you would assume that there could be other factors that played into why a throat bone of a deceased person may fold in, as opposed to, ooh, these bones are broken. They typically only break under strangulation or these types of pressures, if that makes sense. That makes 
total sense. So really the status of Christina's body is inconclusive as to whether or not she was strangled. But the fact that she was out in this wooded area buried is very obvious that it was a homicide of some sort. And that's what led to the theory that, yep, she was probably strangled. And that theory was enough for FBI profilers to go ahead and put together a profile of the would-be murderer. One of the biggest pieces of this profile is that they believe the killer was familiar with Fort Ord and possibly a resident or had been based on or was based on Fort Ord. And while this seems all great, it didn't necessarily narrow down any suspects at that time. And the case did slow down around this time as well, even though they had the body, a potential sketch, and a profile. Then another tip comes forward. And this was a man who came forward to agents on the case and says, look, you need to talk to this girl. She thinks her ex-boyfriend needs to be looked at as a suspect in the Christina Williams case. She thinks her ex-boyfriend might have something to do with it and knew Fort Ord really, really well and still knows Fort Ord really, really well, like the back of his hand. So that was enough for investigators to move forward with that and... They start looking into Charles Hollifield and they find out that he grew up on Fort Ord. He was born to an army sergeant father and he was also currently a registered sex offender. Three months after Christina had been abducted and murdered, an attempted abduction in the area in the city of Marina, which is just north of Fort Ord, happened in September of 1998. A young woman was jogging and a red pickup pulled beside her and they point a gun at her and the driver says, get in or I'll kill you. Well, she didn't and she got away and she led investigators to her would-be abductor and it was Charles Hollifield. So basically, he knows the area and he was involved in a very similar. A similar type crime. Yeah, in the area. So, of course, they think, oh my gosh, we got to get this guy. Well, turns out because that woman so bravely was able to lead police to Charles Hollifield, her would-be abductor, he had already been arrested and convicted with attempted kidnapping, and he had been sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. So he was already behind bars when the senior agent, Rick Lack, on the case, spoke to his ex-girlfriend about his potential involvement. Rick Lack, the senior agent on the case, love him so much. You've got to watch the documentary to get a taste of how awesome Rick Lack is. It's on the case with Paul Zahn. In the show notes, I have the season number and episode number. Anywho, so he's talking to Charles Hollowfield's ex-girlfriend, and he says, look, you may be the one person on the face of this earth that has information I need to resolve the Christina Williams investigation. And she respected that. She was more than willing to help, I guess. And she tells him more about why she thinks Charles might be connected to the case and And she gives him even more information that's really disturbing as to how he's connected to this desolate area that Christina Williams' body had been found. She says, look, we got in a fight this one night and we were out in that area and Charles said to me, if I were to kill you and dump your body here, no one would ever find you. So he's basically kind of threatening to kill her in a way and also just saying, and ha, no one would find you because I know this area better than anybody. Well, and it makes you wonder, has that idea? Has that thought occurred to him before? Like, why would you just say that? Exactly. He had already been thinking about and knew that it'd be hard to find a body in that area. With that, 
Agent Lack says, well, we better make sure that this is the same area that you're talking about Mm -hmm. where this fight happened. So he asks her to lead him to the area that she was talking about where this fight went down. And sure enough, it was the exact area that Christina's body had been found. Wow. Like almost to the T. And that information, that exact spot wasn't released to the public. So she wouldn't have known otherwise. Well, I'm not sure how much information the public had, but it was enough to the point where they knew that if she led them to this area, then she knew what area they were mm-hmm. talking about. And it most likely wasn't from information that they had given or they wouldn't have taken it so seriously. Right. They took it so seriously that Hollifield moved up to the top of the suspect list. So Agent Lack decides, no, I'm, I need to go talk to him. And so he does. And of course, Charles holds his innocence. And he goes, look, I was with my new girlfriend. So not the ex-girlfriend that implicated him, but I'm with this other new girlfriend. And I was with her mom as well. Ask them, they'll confirm it. Of course, Agent Lack does not believe him. The ex-girlfriend had just been so compelling to him. However, they bring in the new girlfriend and the newer girlfriend says, yep, he was with me and my mom. So now this made it almost near impossible to move forward with a case against Charles because he had a verified alibi. So everything was just circumstantial and they had a verified alibi to Charles's defense. So basically they were stuck for a moment. Now, Rick Lack was very convinced that Charles did it, but he retired in 2004 before he could resolve the investigation. But he didn't retire without making sure to handpick the new lead on the case, John O'Brien. So now we've got Agent O'Brien at the helm. Now, since the beginning of the case, investigators were pretty sure that Christina also, unfortunately, had been sexually assaulted. But the autopsy hadn't detected any biological evidence of that. But now with O'Brien on the case, Agent O'Brien says, oh, all I see is that you were looking for semen and didn't find any but nobody looked for any other DNA evidence. And again, this was 1998, 1999 when the body was found. So that makes sense why it kind of could have gone that way. Well, and it also makes sense that there's a fresh set of eyes on the case. And so he's thinking of things in a different way and that's what came to him. And thankfully it did. Right, so this actually worked in the case's favor. So Agent O'Brien says, okay, lab, before you didn't find semen, but you didn't find any other DNA. Why don't we look at these again? I'm going to send you all the evidence for testing, see what other DNA samples you might find, any DNA evidence you might find on our evidence. So he sends in all the evidence to the lab and it's going to get tested. Also in this case file, he finds something of interest to him. He finds an article that was written about Charles Hollifield and why he needed to be looked at in the case of Christina Williams. And this was an article written for the Monterey Herald. And a reporter that worked for the Monterey Herald had actually somehow maintained rapport and communication with Charles since that Marina attempted abduction. Mm -hmm. So that crime reporter writes that article, right? And guess what the reporter says? Well, when that article went out, Charles called me from prison and he goes, hey, there's some mistakes in your article. And he goes, oh, yeah? And he's like, my birthday's wrong. That's all he cared about. It's this incriminating article about why he needs to be looked at in the Christina Williams case. But yet, all he cared about is that his birthday was wrong. So that was really... That's pretty telling. It was pretty telling, and it really struck the reporter. This same reporter also reached out to Charles Hollifield when Christina Williams' body had been found. 
And I'm paraphrasing here, but Charles basically says, I didn't kill her. They won't find that it's me that put her under those bushes. And remember, her body had been found under a bunch of brush, branches, bushy stuff. So, But did the public know that? I mean... The public had never been informed okay. that she was found under any kind of branches, bushes, anything like that. Rick Lack even said, only the killer would know that. So this was a pretty big deal, but it wasn't enough to charge him. They didn't mind, though, because remember, they've got results coming back from the lab of the evidence that Mm -hmm. O'Brien sent back to the lab. Well, guess what they found? They found male DNA on Christina's underwear. Not only that, it was a strong enough DNA profile to submit to the CODIS system. And so they do. And who do you think that it matched? All right, I'm on pins and needles. Tell me whose DNA it is. The DNA was a match to none other than Charles Hollifield. So Agent O'Brien calls Agent Lack immediately and says, we got DNA and it matches Charles Hollifield. You were right all along. Investigators ask to meet with Charles behind bars. Remember, he's behind bars for that attempted kidnapping. Right, the one that happened three months after Christina's disappearance and murder. Mm-hmm. Of course, Charles tried to hold his innocence still, as he had been. But on April 6th, 2017, 19 years almost later, it was announced that Charles was charged with first-degree murder in the case of Christina Williams. In this case, the DA actually had a pretty good case now. They had mm-hmm. Charles Holifield connected to the area where she was abducted, being raised at Fort Ord. They had him connected to the area where she was found from the ex-girlfriend and growing up on Fort Ord. And they had his DNA now on her underwear. Now, most of the time, that's just going to feel incriminating already. You know, we've got your DNA on her underwear. She's 13. Ew. Why is your DNA on her underwear? Right? Mm -hmm. And basically... It gets even more intense, though, when you put it in these terms that one of the people from the lab did. And they said this, the DNA had a profile that only one in 46 octillion would have or come close to mimicking. To put into further perspective, that's a billion, 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 46 octillion. So essentially, you know the area and your DNA is on her underwear, You probably did it, but of course, he had his right to a trial, and he waived the right to a trial by jury, but he did have a judge that would be deciding his fate. Now, he waived the right to a jury trial in December of 2019. He was then found guilty of first-degree murder by the judge, and once she made her ruling, Christina's mother said, Christina got justice. On March 20th, 2020, Charles was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Christina's family today still misses her deeply. Her father had a heartbreaking statement, and he said every birthday, every anniversary of her abduction, and every anniversary of her remains being found basically remind the family of what happened and how much they miss her. And he also said it's something that lives on in us forever. Yeah, that's a life arc for them, if you will. That's something that literally paved the rest of their life after it happened. Right. Their lives could never be the same. Never. 
What's really cool is that also in Christina Williams' name is a scholarship that was started by a really wealthy socialite. I'm unfamiliar with who they are, but this scholarship lives on at UC Berkeley, so University of California in Berkeley, which is a couple hours away, maybe. I'm not exactly sure how far, but they're both obviously up north for those listeners that don't live in California, and Berkeley is an amazing school. It's known as, quote, a public Ivy. So it's really cool that it's such a prestigious university. Her name lives on. And that's where we'll leave today's case. You know where to find us until our next episode at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com, at the Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, and at the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away. Like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment.